0: I had just been signed by this kind of writing collective and in London called Writers Workshop and they were already on the label were producing bands like Pro, Pro Harum, The Move, and uh, yeah. there was a young producer called Tony Visconti. <laughs> I think it was when we were touring around and we bumped into like Fairport Convention and and Dave Pegg, he said, I would love to do your bass lines on that and, and actually that's the first time I thought, oh wow, I've got a bit of feedback there, you know, because I I, I suddenly felt like I belonged, I guess for a bit, I thought I might have been the young imposter, but...
1: uh... (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. thanks as always for hitting play. Now, my guest on today's show is the bass player with one of the longest-running groups still going. I was going to say prog groups, but you could easily say folk rock groups as well, such as their crossover appeal between genres. Now, the band began life as the Strawberry Hill Boys all the way back in 1964, but the name was shortened to The Straubs in 1967, and they are still going strong today. Last year saw the release of their latest album, and... There's another new one in the pipeline too, but much more on that later on in the interview. Now, the Straubs had big success in the early 70s, with the album bursting at the seams, reaching number two on the UK album chart. They also had a number of hits, most notably Part of the Union, which also reached number two in the UK on the singles charts, as well as reaching number two in Australia, number 11 in Ireland and number 48 in Canada. Over in America, their biggest success came with the albums Hero & Heroin in 1974, an album that Rolling Stone magazine recently ranked in the top 50 prog albums of all time. Also, the album Ghosts in 1975 went top 50 on the Billboard album chart too. So, my guest is the band's bass player, Chaz Kronk, who's just released a solo album called Liberty. But before we hear Chaz's great stories, I just quickly want to ask for your help. I was contacted by a listener, Richard Burrell, who asked if it would be possible to release episodes more frequently. Now, I already release one a week, which is fairly tough going, getting through everything that I need to do. But as much as I would love to interview these wonderful guests and turn them around much quicker for you, as this podcast is a solo project, i.e. it's me, me and only me involved, it's just not feasible. But it did get me thinking about what else I could do. And the idea of a daily On This Day in Rock episode came to mind. Now, I was thinking something along the lines of uh, a short episode, perhaps three to five minutes, focusing on one event from rock history that happened on that day. Now, I could maybe get guests on to chat about special anniversaries, maybe of album releases or singles or celebrate birthdays, major events in the rock world, that kind of thing. It's something that would take a bit of effort, of course, but something that sounds pretty exciting to me. But before I go ahead and do it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the idea. Now, I've posted a really short survey on my website. Literally, it's just two questions to answer. It'll take you two seconds. And it would be amazing to get as many responses as I could before I commit to this idea of On This Day in Rock. Now, all you've got to do is head to vintagerockpod.com forward slash survey. That's vintagerockpod.com forward slash survey to answer the two questions. And you don't really even need to answer them that hard, it's checkboxes. Just pick one of the options on each of the questions and hit submit and you're sorted. Alternatively, you can find the link on the Vintage Rock Pod Facebook or Twitter pages as well. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on those social media sites. Now, I'm really, really keen to hear your thoughts on this idea of an On This Day in Rock episode that comes out every single day. As I said, really short episodes, but I need to know whether you're interested. If you are loving the idea if you think it's a great idea then please do take two seconds to answer the questions or if you on the other hand absolutely hate the idea then please let me know as well because i need to know before i commit to this please go to vintagerockpod.com forward slash Survey. It'll take you two seconds. Right. Let's move on with the episode then to Chaz cronk He joined the Straubs originally in 1973, but has also played with other legends of music. The Rick Wakeman, keyboard player extraordinaire and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee with Yes, is a close friend of Chaz's. In fact, they were friends long before Chaz joined the Straubs. Now, Chaz also spent a number of years in the 80s as part of the band of another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and a former guest here on Vintage Rock pod episode 13 check it out steve hackett of genesis and you'll hear Chaz talking about his time with both these great guys in this chat as well as his time in the strobs of course and an update on the band's situation given the news at the end of last year that dave cousins has taken an indefinite break from touring and as well as all that we'll also chat about Chaz's brand new solo album liberty as well plenty to get into so here we go please enjoy my chat with Chaz cronk from the strobs now, we're here to talk about your, your new album, Liberty, which has just come out. But before that, on Vintage Rock Pod, we like to hear the stories from the past as well. So we're going to dive back to, to to nearly the start, not quite the start, but nearly the start and speak about Rick Wakeman. You probably get asked about this an awful lot, but obviously Rick is a huge star. He's a rock and roll hall of famer with Yes and everything like that. But yeah, yeah. your association with Rick goes back even further than than his Yes days. I mean, you played on his, his album, didn't you? The Six Wives of Henry VIII. But you were actually friends... Before even all that, weren't you? You met him in a, in a music store, is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Yes, he was. A, there was a, used to be a music store in South Ealing called Musical Bargain Centre and it was run by a guy <laughs> called Dave Sims and Dave Sims was a, a drummer as well and he had his own little kind of function band Rick was in there one day, and I was in, just brooching around. It was one of those places where musicians could just go and hang out and have a cup of coffee oh, yes. and chat, you know. Um, so I was introduced to Rick, and and uh, he said, "Why don't you come along and see me play with Dave Sims' band?" and and they were playing in a kind of social club type play- situation and doing kind of standards of the time, a bit of soul, a bit of pop, and uh, he he was obviously pretty good, you know. <laughs> I thought, wow, you know, doing <laughs> it, and he was also playing. With a band at the top rank in Reading, that when in the days when top rank ballrooms had house bands and everything, and I went along and saw that, and that was much rockier, but it was uh, outstandingly good, you know. But it just so happened to coincide with a period where I, I had just been signed by this kind of writing collective in in London called Writers Workshop, and and uh, it was a kind of embryonic stage where young writers could get together and some established ones. And they were already on the label were producing bands like Procol Harum, The Move, ah, and um, yeah. you know, And there was a young engineer that, or producer that had just come over from America that was working as a new young producer called Tony Visconti. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I was asked to play bass on a project they were doing there with the guy from the Icon Tina Turner show who had come over to wow. live in a, in a singer called Jimmy Thomas. And they said, we, we need a keyboard player for this do you know anyone who knows anyone and I, I said I've just met this guy you know should be pretty I think you'll find he's good you know and he, he came along <laughs> to the session we did a, recorded a single and he was uh yeah pretty outstanding obviously and Tony Visconti's jaw I think kind of metaphorically just dropped and I remember him saying well thanks for bringing Rick along to this one and of course next minute Rick's, Rick's in the thick of the session world and uh doing doing sessions for everyone you know and uh
1: yeah yeah
0: bless him he He tugged me along on some of those just by association. I got to play on a few things and as his session work took off, I mean, this was before straws days, before straws, you know, so we were kids really. So, uh, yeah, we we used to knock about together.
1: (laughs) So uh, with your your association with with Rick, is that how he pulled you along and and got you involved on his album, The Six Wives?
0: It was really, yeah, yeah, because I did quite a lot of sessions uh, with him along the way as his session work progressed. Uh, he was doing bigger and bigger stuff and doing some film stuff. And he had obviously been with Straubs by then. And through that, he had met Dave Lambert. And Dave was a local West London boy as well. So um, we ended up working together on a few sessions. And so I knew Dave Lambert already. And then when it came, when Rick had been through Straubs and joined Yes, and when he came to do Six Wives of Henry the Eighth, yeah, he he kind of spread the load around his favourite pals, I think, in terms of session musicians that worked <laughs> with him on it. Um, and it just so happened that one of the tracks that I played on on that album uh, involved Dave Lambert from Strawbs and also Dave Cousins from Straubs because he... So it was the first time i have met Dave Cousins. Yes. Even though there's a, a long, long story behind all that as well because my mother and Dave Cousins' mother used to work in the same office. Oh, wow. The uh, House of Health Authority and, and she, my mum would come back with tales of... oh. Dave Cousins and band is doing well and all that sort of thing. <laughs> My mother would be telling Mrs Cousins. Anyway, long story short, yeah, we on that session for for that track on Rick's album, we all met because we all played on it and we ended up doing a, a old grey whistle test in, afterwards in promoting it. So, And it was shortly after that that they... Asked me would I be interested in uh, joining the So,
1: so how did you feel at that point then? Because obviously the Straws, when you joined them, they were kind of they'd really broken through the mainstream, hadn't they? The album had gone to number two. They had a big single, that sort of thing. So, so how did it feel? That was it, like yes, breakthrough for you, sort of feeling, was it?
0: Um, I was well, I was obviously pleased to have been asked, really. But the strange thing was, Rick already had a solo plans in his head. Obviously, just done the solo album, and uh, he wanted to yeah. put a band together. Eventually, which he did, of course, in the end, to go out and promote his own solo stuff. Uh, So he'd asked me already, would I be in that? But when the Straubs offer came in, he actually said, look, it's going to be some while before my solo stuff goes. He said 100% I would go, you know, with the Straubs thing. And of course, I'm sure behind the scenes, he kind of recommended me as well. Um, Yeah, it was was a, a big changed for me I, i've obviously worked with bands local bands and things and done all this session work but yeah. it was first sort of big band, if you like that i uh, got involved with and as you say they'd become big in the national consciousness here at the time yeah <laughs> you know but and but the idea when at the time i joined really i joined with two other guys um you know rod coombs the drummer from sealer's wheel and john hawkin on keyboards because there was a kind of you know, the yes. they had had yeah. had had the successful part of the union and everything, but uh, it caused frictions in the band, and and the idea was to get and the new lineup would go back to being very much album orientated, and you know. Uh, that's what happened, really.
1: <laughs> um, and just talking there about um, joining a band as, as big as that, I mean, you look back, it was the right decision, obviously, to, to go with the Straubs rather than hold on for Rick Wakeman because yeah. 50 years on, you, you're still with the Straubs and, and it's incredible to think of what's happened to you in that sort of time.
0: Absolutely. We haven't been with Straubs non-stop through that period because I ran the American era, if you like, mm. you know, when we were touring the States and North America an awful lot. And... Come 1980, after seven or eight years of that, you know, Dave Cousins decided he wanted to just step away from live music for a bit. And he got into local radio, in fact, independent local radio for a while. So there was a whole period um, during the 80s and 90s where I wasn't with Straubes, Um, and, and in that time, during the 80s, I, I worked with Steve Hackett. Yep. I was in his band in the early 80s. And, of course, Rick, in the mid-'80s, I, I worked with him on touring, which was actually the first time I'd played live with Rick, even though we'd done all this uh, the history of session work. So, yeah, I came back into Straubs in the early, just after the millennium, really, and uh, have been there since, as you say.
1: <laughs> and a quick word for Steve Hackett. We've had him on the show as well. He's, a, he's an incredible guitarist. And What was he like to, to play and record with?
0: An absolute gentleman. See, I mean, yeah. as you say, I mean, he's an astounding guitarist, Um absolutely nice guy to play with and work with you know and um that whole band i, I really enjoyed that he had uh, ian mosley on drums who went on to Marillion, of course and yeah. nick magnus a bit of a legendary kind of prog keyboard player and also steve's brother john on second guitar and flutes and various things yeah really good vibe to play in that band really everyone was a good player and just turned it on every night and uh, i just admired the uh, Attention to details, Steve Hackett had. Mm-hmm. I think Every, everything yeah. about the production of the show, even in those days in the 80s, the lighting, the sound, he was stickler for getting it right and and more power to him for that. Yeah,
1: fantastic. Uh, and going back to, to to you joining the Strobs, then your first album with with the band Hero and Heroine, it, it's become a real firm favourite with, with Strobs fans. It's it's an iconic album as well. I mean, what do you remember of your time recording that album? Because obviously it must have been very special with it being the first one uh, with the group with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um when I joined the band we went down to the West Country where Dave Cousins was living at the time, and we did a lot of early rehearsals down there, and and some of the songs for the albums took embryonic shape down there, really. And then we went out and did a couple of tours: one in Europe to some knock the band into shape, and <laughs> uh, in America to show A and M the new lineup. A and M Records, who they were signed to at the time, and then we started re- recording the album later that year in 1973. We did we did, went in and did a single first, and we recorded that in the UK. Yes, that was my first time properly in the studio with Straugs and I recorded a song called Shine On Silver Sun. Yep. I, was, I remember putting all these counter sort of bass line, melodic bass lines on it, thinking, oh, hope that's right. And But it, it seemed to go okay. But uh, I think it was when we were touring around and we bumped into like Fairport Convention and, and Dave Pegg at the time congratulated, he said, I would love to do your bass lines on that um, <laughs> single and everything. And, we said, and, and actually, that's the first time I thought, oh, wow, I've got... A bit of feedback there, you know, because and I, and I suddenly felt like I belonged, for, I guess for a bit, I thought I might have been the young imposter, but, uh, <laughs> but we went to Denmark to make the rest of the album, and that was quite special, it was cold, snowy, and a lot of time spent in the <laughs> studio, and um, it kind of went in a bit of a blur, but there's a lot of work went into making that album.
1: And it turned into a phenomenal success. I mean, the Strobs as a band, I mean, I heard Dave Cousins once say that there's not many bands that can headline a folk festival one weekend and then a prog festival the weekend after, all while playing the same songs. It's it's pretty incredible the way the, the band is, is appreciated by, by fans of many genres.
0: Yes, I think that's that's true. I know what he means by that. And of course, over the latter years, you know, with Straub's having had an acoustic lineup that yes. uh, would work as well as the electric, you could go even smaller. You know, the uh, you know as acoustic lineup, you could play a folk club one night, and the electric band could headline a, a, a theatre or <laughs> festival the next night. You know, but uh, you're right. I think it kind of crossed a few boundaries. And although is called Prague and everything like that, it's it's actually there's so many roots elements in there or of, of from the folk scene i mean i didn't personally come out of the folk scene all that but dave cousins obviously was very um yeah. very into it and so so there's always those elements of straw you, you can strip a song however big and in, in production it went with mellotrons and goodness knows what um, you can always strip it back to the guitars <laughs> if you like and and play it acoustically in a in a folk club you know so.
1: Absolutely. We've mentioned Dave Cousins a few times. And obviously, he released a statement at the end of last year saying due to ill health, he'll be it'll for the foreseeable future, he won't be touring or anything like that. So just to, to ask about Dave, how is he at the moment?
0: Well, he's fine as far as I know. I mean, I haven't now seen him since we did a couple of festivals early autumn last year. And I think it was those festivals. He, he was on tr- tremendous form on them, actually. Um, but he said it took a lot out of him at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he felt at the time that... He, perhaps we shouldn't start playing again until this year. And then in the intervening time, come around November, December, as you say, he had reassessed the situation and thought, you know, I think I'm just going to step back from live work. Although we're in the early stages of talking about a new album. So, I mean, he's definitely (laughs) as sharp as a tack as ever, really. And I'm sure he's writing lyrics furiously. And in that sense, he's very well, really. But I think he just feels the rigors of on touring a bit much for him right now yeah. with the foreseeable future is his head, you know.
1: Ah, so you talk about the early stages of, of, a, of a new album. Are you, are you involved in that, or do you kind of wait until Dave comes up with the, the main bodies of the thing? Well,
0: I mean, we're just just talking about it. It doesn't seem that long since the settlement came out, but last no, time we one, did yes. that in lockdown <laughs> as well. So really early stages here, but I think at this stage we'd all be knocking ideas around. Um, or we're just about to put some ideas around and see... You know, early feelers out in terms of material and so it, it's a bit early to say we're hundred percent doing, but we're certainly talking about it at yeah. the moment, yeah
1: and what's it been like working with Dave? Obviously, there was a big period where you, you went off and did different things, but in terms of him as a as a person and a musician and a friend i mean what 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 has it been like working with Dave for such a long time
0: lyrically i mean obviously he's your, always your man to go to, he's just a sounding with lyrics i don't I don't know how how he does it and and I think it, it's in the straws ethos anyway, I think, but I mean, it, driven by him, you know, the the experimental side of things, I mean, even going back to the 70s when we were recording those early albums, the lengths we went to to sort of get some sound effects and, you know, in the days when there weren't any, you had to kind of make them yourselves almost, <laughs> you know, the, the things we got up to, you know, uh, the peal of bells that go through the track Ghost, uh, people said, how did you get that sound? That was our producer, Tom Allen, going out and recording a local church or whatever, we're coming back, and we just made the very speeding tapes and everything. We bit of a long process again to go and do, but it's that kind of experimental thing that came had a terrific result. So you know, I'm sure in this way, even even though recording techniques have changed since then, we'll, we'll still be going for as experimental the kind of approach on some of the aspects of it as possible. Absolutely, um, and then see what happens. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it, Dave's a real catalyst for ma- making things happen you know, whether it's organising the Straub's 50th anniversary Concerts Weekend in America, which he did just a few years ago, or whatever, you know, he he, he kind of has quite an ability to, to bring lots of strands together.
1: Fantastic. And you mentioned Settlement there quickly. Um, it came out to, to great reviews uh, last year, fantastic yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah. then we, we talk about your new album. It's, it's literally just come out now, Liberty. Um, is yeah. it's, it's your second solo album,
0: I believe, is that right? It's the first proper yes. one, I think. But but yeah, I did do some um, mood music, ambient, an ambient music album about twenty years ago, yes, in fact. But uh, it, yeah, I never. I mean, it was kind of more specialist that I think, I never really saw the the, the wide <laughs> light of day. But but this is my would be my first attempt at an album, song wise, and everything like that. So. Yes, the, there is a, the Ambient Music album out there somewhere, but uh, <laughs> this is the first proper one. Yeah.
1: And this one was born out of, uh, like so many other musicians who were sat at home during lockdown because they couldn't couldn't be out touring. I mean, this was born out of the lockdown thing, wasn't it? And initially Absolutely. it was just the one song. You created the one song and you'd put it on social media, on the internet, and it got some a real traction, didn't it, to the point where Renaissance Records in America actually reached out to you to say, hey, hey fancy fancy making an EP out of this?
0: That's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. They basically, are you interested in doing something? They came on, they suggested an EP, so I had one other new track on the go at the time, um, sent that to them, they loved that, and we decided we'd put the EP together with two other songs, which I sort of already had. One was a song called A Splash of Blue, mm-hmm. and that had actually appeared on a, a Dave Lambert and Chaz Cronk album um, going back, uh, but I, I sort of remixed and did some work on that, and Another track I had, which had uh, the song had appeared on the Straub's album with Dave Cousins singing. But I went back to my original recording of it and embellished it, finished it off. So we ended up with four tracks for this potential EP and Renaissance did the artwork for it, which was a bit out there. But I loved it. It was at that point they said, we'd like to make this an LP, you know, and uh, we were still kind of going through the lockdown phases. So I thought, well, I'm going to write all new material to finish this now. I don't want to go back and re- revisit anything else, you know, and uh, want to keep it in the same vein, get some sort of continuity to the whole album. So, it yeah, it took some months longer because I find it a slow process, sort of writing and when you're recording pretty much everything yeah. by yourself, you know, and uh, <laughs> I guess when you're working on your own, the worst bit is that there's no one to bounce off. And <laughs> it takes longer to make, you know, to be sure you're making the right decision about something or other. Absolutely. So.
1: And that must have been quite exciting for you. I mean, you, you put together the, the four track, the EP, like Renaissance had asked for, and for them to come back and say, can we make it into a full length LP? Can we make it a full record? Can we make it a proper album? I mean, that must have been really positive, a, a great affirmation for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, although I was just thinking, oh my goodness, you know, another four tracks, five tracks. and But uh, but as I, you know, big, again, because of all the lockdowns, I was able to sort of get back in the groove, if you like, yeah. and think where where it should go from there. And, and they had done the artwork by then as well, and the whole thing seemed to be taking on some kind of shape and, you know, becoming real. So uh, I wouldn't say it was easy writing all the other songs. <laughs> I went through quite a few bits and pieces, but... Uh, we got there, definitely got there with it. So,
1: And with it being a lockdown project, you pretty much played all the instruments yourself as well. I mean, did you enjoy that, the, the variety of it all?
0: Yeah, I did. I did. I, I mean, I, well, I had the one track that had appeared on the Dave Lambert and Chaz album, and Dave Lambert yeah. had originally played guitar on that, so obviously I kept, kept that. So he plays guitar on the one song. And uh, towards the end of the recording of it, uh, just when we were getting together to rehearse for that festival I was saying, with Straws. I was saying, about last September, October, Dave Bainbridge, who's that Straub's keyboard player, but is also just an outrageous guitarist as well. Um, <laughs> he he was he came to say all of this while we were rehearsing for those shows, and uh, so he he put a guitar solo on the end of another track called "Slipping Downstream," which is a bit astounding. But I think the thing about doing the whole thing myself and circumstances. Almost making sure I had to sort of do it myself meant that uh, I was able to really get some of my production thoughts across as well. Mm-hmm, you know, but yeah. when you work with a band, inevitably, of course, there's got to be there's a collaborative nature to the whole thing, which is fine. You know, that's the way it works. That's fine. But it was interesting to be able to explore some of my own processes and take them to the to the finished state. You know, so sound wise and and production wise. Yeah, I, I was quite pleased with the way it worked out in the end. <laughs> so. And what's
1: your favourite track on the album then, for you personally?
0: Oh, now you got me, got me there. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I guess because it's the one that started off, "Liberties." Um, "Liberties" probably a good, good. Yeah, I would have to say that probably. Um. Being a Libra and I could take the long while making my mind up. As it. so best, best I say that, I guess as, as the song I kick the whole thing off, yeah.
1: As a fellow Librant, I know exactly what you mean. Um, now, the oh, album is it's, it's out now, and it's available in many different forms. You can stream it uh, on, on Spotify and things like that, but you can also buy it physically. CD, vinyl, there's special sets as well, where there's uh, lost photos and lyric sheets and all these little things like that, all really special things. I mean, were you involved in the collation of, of these different things for these special sets?
0: Well, pretty much it's record company's idea, So uh, and as the artwork was. So I've let them do their thing there, really, but the vinyl is available, I think, this week. Yeah, I mean, it's been available for pre order for a bit, but uh, I think physically that it, that it should be arriving. It's a few weeks late, the vinyl, because of production holdups in mm-hmm. America there. Yeah, there's lots uh, but, of delays. Yeah, yeah. But the CDs out there, as you say, you know, you can, it can be ordered direct from Renaissance Records in the States, or I do know of eBay sellers or private sellers over here that's selling it. There's no actual. Official UK distribution for Renaissance Records, unfortunately, but there are ways of getting it. Some, some friends of mine have got it off eBay, and send uh, it's all worked <laughs> out. This all comes through. So,
1: <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. So, thank you so much for joining me, Chaz. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and I wish you best of luck with the album and and moving forward with some hopefully some new uh, strobs music as well.
0: Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I reckon that will happen probably <laughs> next year. Ne- early next year, I reckon you'll see something there. Hopefully. <laughs>
1: Chaz Kronk there. Definitely check out his new album, Liberty. It's available to stream on all the usual places, and the CD and vinyl will also be fantastic additions to your record collections. Right, it's now the time of the show to give you this week's top fives. And of course, it's going to be the top five Straubs songs. Now, if this is the first time you've listened to Vintage Rock Pod, this is where I give you my favourite five songs from the artist or band I've just interviewed. But remember, it's my personal choice. It's a subjective list, so it's okay for you to disagree. In fact, I actively encourage it as I love to hear your top fives and see how they compare to mine. So here we go, my favourite five songs from the Straubs, according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is the group's big single. It's a sing-along anthem that secured them a number two hit in 1973, taken from the album Bursting at the Seams, and number five is Part of the Union. At four is the opening suite from the album Hero and Heroine. It's a three-part song in effect, and for me, the opening part, Heroine's theme, is a masterpiece in how to slowly build a theme. The third part, Winter Long, was released as a single under the name Hold On To Me. At number four is Autumn. At three is perhaps an unusual choice and a fairly recent track, but given my love for darker and grittier songs, it's one that I heard and kind of stuck with me, taken from their recent album, 2017, The Ferryman's Curse. At number three is The Nails from the Hands of Christ.
2: The Nails from the Hands of Christ
1: That too is again another you might not expect, but I love it. Again, it's another upbeat number, darker in style too, and comes from the great album Ghosts from 1975. At number two is the Life Auction. And at number one is a track you definitely would expect to appear, and that's because it is a classic. Another big sing along chorus with a big hit as well in the UK, reaching number 12 in 1972. From the album Bursting at the Seams, my favourite song from the Straubs is Lay Down. there you go my favourite five songs from the straws. as always I'd love to hear your thoughts where do you agree where do you disagree let me know your top fives drop me an email vintagerockpod at gmail.com and I'll give you a mention on next week's episode a quick reminder please do take just Two minutes to answer the two quick questions over on my website about plans to potentially release a very short daily podcast called on this day in rock check out vintage rock forward slash survey answer the two really easy check box answering question thingy me jiggy honestly it'll just take your seconds i'd love to know your thoughts on the idea either way for sure if you love the idea if you hate the idea please let me know before i commit to recording them and if this is your first listen to the Vintage Rock Pod, then please do check out the fabulous back catalogue of guests I've had on the show. If you're a fan of the Straubs, then perhaps check out my interviews with Jethro Tull leader Ian Anderson on episode 50. Steve Hackett, who we mentioned earlier on, talking about his Genesis days on episode 13. There's uh, Jeff Downs talking about his time with Yes and Asia on episode 18. Tice Van Leer from Dutch Prog Group Focus on episode 20. There's Robert Berry, who played with Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer in the band 3. He appears on episode 24. Mick Rogers from Manfred Man's Earth Band on episode 25. Steve Rothery from Marillion brilliant band, on episode 41. There's John Lodge of the Moody Blues on episode 46. And Dave Brock from Hawkwind on episode 47. Oh, and Steve Harley, Cockney Rebel, on episode 11 as well. So tons of people to listen to with many more rock and roll. Hall of Famers Grammy Award winners and multi-platinum selling rock stars on the back catalogue too please do go back and check out some of those interviews but that's it for today's show then I hope you enjoyed the interview if you did please subscribe or follow the series on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on so you don't miss any of the great episodes coming your way episodes usually released every Monday morning but that's it for episode 59 until next week remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock just tell them my music is better than than yours. Take care.